Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Well, good morning. It's good to be able to worship with you today. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come and share a time of worship together with you. If you brought Bibles or have the Word of God with you in some form today, if you want to be prepared, we're going to look and study this morning out of John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and I am just honored to be able to come and let us study the Word of God together this morning. John chapter 12 is where we will have our primary focus this morning in the Word of God. Mahatma Gandhi was a world leader. He was known as a political activist, one who um, really was a very proponent of nonviolent change in in the world and was very influential in helping India gain their independence from the British Empire. But one of the things that's most well-documented about Gandhi uh, that we often refer back to is it's just well-documented that Gandhi was actually, he was attracted to Jesus Christ. There was much about the life of Jesus that attracted Gandhi. But he was also turned off by the life of Christians. And it's well documented that on more than one occasion he would make statements like this. One of the quotes that he is reported as having said is that, I love your Jesus, but I don't love your Christians. It's an interesting, interesting term, isn't it? It's a very interesting thought for us in our culture today. It's interesting because now we fast forward several decades and we hear that same sentiment in our, in our nation today. We hear that same sentiment across the world. Oh, I love Jesus, but I'm just not very attracted to people who say they're, they're Christians. And that same sentiment is being expanded all over the world today and it's very prominent here in our nation. People see the life of Christ and they're, and they're drawn to that, they're attracted, but they're looking at the church, they're looking at Christians and they're saying, well, not so much. One of the other quotes that I have found from Gandhi that is really compelling to me at this particular point in my life and in my spiritual journey is this. Live like Jesus and the world will listen. That's interesting too, isn't it? You know, now we could sit back and analyze Gandhi all day long and we could say, well, you know, you can't let the life of someone else, you know, keep you from coming to know Christ. We, we all understand that. But I think the point is well made that he is saying if, if we as Christians, if we as professing followers of Christ lived more like Jesus, then the world would notice. Because you see, that also is something that we're observing in our culture today is that the distinctive lifestyle between those who identify themselves as followers of Christ, the church, and the distinction between the world is becoming less and less. We look more like the world than ever before. But I believe that there's going to come a time for each one of us. I believe the time has to come for me. It has to come for you. It has to come for each one of us when we have to make a decision in our life that I'm going to live my life for Christ. 
It doesn't matter what the rest of the world says or does. I'm going to live my life for Christ. This is what it's going to mean to me. And this is the moment that I'm going to put that stake in the ground and say, I'm going to live like Christ. I'm going to live for Christ. I believe that we find an example of that in John chapter 12. When Mary comes and does a particular act of service that is startling to those around her. Follow along, if you will, in the reading of that as I'll read John chapter 12, the first eight verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When we see this event played out before us and recorded for us in scripture, we, we see one, her name is Mary, who said, you know, it doesn't matter what everybody else might be thinking at the moment, I'm going to live for Jesus. And that moment occurred for her right then and there. It's interesting that as that moment was occurring for her, it also raises some insight into the motives of the others in the room around her. Because as she's doing this, as she's anointing the, the feet of Jesus with this expensive ointment and wiping it with her hair, others in the room are probably aghast at what's going on. They're, they're saying, you know, this is not supposed to be happening. And then Judas himself raises the issue of why didn't we sell this and get the money that it was worth? The point of that is that as we choose to live our life for Christ in this world or we choose not to, our true motives, our why is going to be exposed. If we're going to live for Jesus in a way that the world will listen, if we're going to live for Jesus in a way that the world will notice, then there, have to come, there has to come a moment in our lives when we make a decision that we're going to live our life for Christ even if, or probably better stated, even when, it runs counter to the culture of the day. In the text that we read, chapter 12, look at verse three specifically. Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. There's a couple of things that are very important for us to notice in this, in this particular action that she took. One is she began to anoint his feet. 
That's an interesting part of this particular text because it would have been common custom for the day, the, the culture of the day would have been that you would have, the host of the home would have washed the feet of this guest. That was the custom of the day. It was, it was common among that culture that when he came in because of the, the, you know, they typically were wearing sandals of some kind and the streets were dusty and it would be common courtesy if someone was coming into your home to enjoy dinner together that the host of the home would wash the feet of the guest coming. Because as they ate, they would often re- sit in a reclined type position around the tables. The tables would be somewhat low and they would sit in somewhat of a reclined position and and feet would be scattered all around the table as well. So it was customary to wash the feet of the guests before you would enjoy this meal together. So the custom of the day would have been to have washed the feet, certainly not to anoint the feet. Any anointing would have been reserved for the head. So the feet would have been washed, the head would have been anointed, but here Mary comes in and she takes this very expensive ointment, this perfume, very fragrant ointment, and she anoints the feet of Jesus and then wipes his feet with her hair. Again, a very unusual, if not forbidden practice in that culture because it would have been considered way too intimate and against the culture of the day, for a woman to do this to a man. Now those are cultures of that day that would dictate what should and should not be done. But because of Mary's deep love for Jesus and her decision at that moment, I'm going to live for Jesus. You know what, I'm gonna show him how much love I have for him. That she chose to act in a way that was counter to the culture. You're probably saying, well, well, Phil, what's the relevance of that in our life today? What's the relevance? Well, think about it in these terms for just a moment. When Mary did this particular action, there's no doubt that that her motives, her, her decisions, her actions themselves were being questioned by those in the room. What is she doing? Does she not know that you're not supposed to do this? You can almost imagine the whispers, the murmurs that were going on in the room. Obviously, there was misunderstanding as to why she would be doing what she was doing. And it also then began to raise questions, not only of that, but those questions quickly turned into criticisms. Why didn't we sell this? This is very expensive ointment. We could have sold this and gotten a lot of money and given it to the poor. And then when Judas actually says that, his motives are exposed because Jesus reveals he didn't want to give the money to the poor. He wanted it for himself because he was in control of the money. But the relevance for us in our day is this. Perhaps Gandhi's observation about how Christians seldom live for Christ so the world doesn't even notice would be relevant for us in our world today to say this, are we so concerned with the questions and the criticisms of others that we fail to live our life for Christ? Because when that moment comes in our life, when we decide, you know, I'm gonna live for Jesus regardless, we're making a decision then, we're gonna live for Christ in a way that the world will notice, and that means that it will run counter to the culture. That means at times that our actions will be questioned. 
It means at times that our motives will be misunderstood. It means at times that what we say and what we do as a true follower of Christ will be criticized. But it also means that we've come to a moment where we have determined that we're going to live our life for Christ and we're going to live it with truth and with grace. And that comes to a point to where we make a determination that we're going to demonstrate the kind of love that we have for Christ. That's exactly what Mary was doing. She said, I have this this deep love for Jesus and who he is, but I can't just sit back and contain it any longer. I have to live it out. I have to, to demonstrate it. I have to live it out before others so that they see my love for him as the Messiah. And maybe sometimes that's where we are too. That we're keeping this love that we say we profess, but we're keeping it inside ourselves and we're not willing to to demonstrate it for others to see. And although the types of religious activities in which we're engaged are not always a measure of our love for Christ, there are some that are very important for us that need to continue to be demonstrated in a way that we're willing to take a stand for the world. One of those is our engagement in corporate worship. Is our love for Christ being reflected in the way that we are willing to gather with other believers in a consistent manner and demonstrate our love for him, come together to express our praise and worship to him in a corporate setting saying we are a part, God, of your body. More and more we're finding people, in fact, some of the recent research that was done in Knox County tells us that about 40% of the people in our culture who say that they're believers call themselves duns. And that means that they have once been connected to the church, but they've walked away from it. They're done with the church with no intention of ever returning. But what about me? What about you? Is our expressions of corporate worship going to be such that we demonstrate to the world that we have this love for Christ? What about the way in which we serve others? What about the kind of servant leadership that we demonstrate in our world today? Is our method of leadership from our home to our communities, to our political offices, is our demonstration of leadership as followers of Christ such that the world takes notice that we're different? Or does it see us falling right into the patterns of the world themselves to where there's little or no distinction? What about the way we choose to live our life on mission every single day? Have we become so self-absorbed and so consumed with our own activities and our own possession of our time and everything like that that we just say, you know what, I just don't have time to to live out on mission. I don't have time to be involved in mission and ministry in in the world today. There's too many other things to do. Mary made a demonstration that day. She made a demonstration of the deep love that she had in her heart for Christ as the Messiah. And regardless of what the culture around her stated, regardless of what the people in the room thought, she said, I'm going to live for Christ. And you know what? They took notice. They noticed. 
You know, it means that sometimes for us that we have to come back to what it means to follow what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, the first two verses are so powerful uh, for us as followers of Christ when Paul would write these words. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I think a question for each one of us as followers of Jesus today is, am I living my life as a living sacrifice to God? Am I living for Christ in a way that the world will notice? Mary not only chose to let her life at that moment be a living demonstration of her love for Christ in a way that the world took notice, But she also was willing to live for Christ in a way that she offered that which was of true value to her. When we think about the ointment that was offered, it tells us that Judas exposed that. He said, you know, this was worth at least 300 denarii. That was a significant sum of money in that day. It was a very expensive ointment, a very expensive fragrant aroma that was going through the room that day and they were probably going wow you can smell the money and it helps us to come this particular action helps us to come face to face with our own heart to say what is it that we truly value in our own lives what do we value so highly that perhaps it has taken the place of our love for Jesus Christ. Mary was willing to come and she was willing to pour that expensive ointment on the feet of Jesus. Taking something which was very expensive, something that was worth a significant amount of money and offer it to him freely. But the question for us is this, are we going to hold on to, to some material possession or some other thing in our life and We'll mention those in a moment. Are we going to hold on to some of those so tightly that they become of higher value in our lives than our love for Christ? Do we truly value Christ more than we do our possessions? In Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verse 21 Listen to these powerful words. The rich young man came to Jesus and asked him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus gave him some, some things that were in the law. And he said that he had honored all of those. And then Jesus looks at him, verse 21 of Mark 10, and he says this. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This man could not see past his possessions to live his life for Christ. The question for us is, do we value that which we possess? 
Do we hold on to that more tightly than we do our love for Christ? But what about relationships? Look in Luke chapter 14. Maybe it's not possessions that you value higher than you do your love for Christ. What if it was relationships? What if there are relationships in your life that you place above your love for Christ? In Luke chapter 14, verse 26. The context of this is that Jesus is telling a parable. He's telling a parable about a great banquet being thrown and they're supposed to go and invite people to come and share in this great banquet that Jesus is, that the master is throwing. And as people are invited, each one of them has a particular excuse as to why they can't come. Each one of those excuses are tied to a relationship. And Jesus says in verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus was stating very explicitly, relationships are important, but the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ is to be of the highest value. And even our own life itself. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, Jesus would, write these, would say these words. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul. You see, we can run down the checklist pretty quickly and we can ask ourselves, do we have possessions, things that we own that we value higher than we do our love for Christ? Are there relationships in our life that we value and treasure higher than we do our, our love for the Lord? Or even our very own life itself? Do we place higher value on it than we do our love for Christ. Jim Elliott, the great missionary who was actually martyred for his faith said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You see, there has to come a time when we're gonna decide, are we going to live for Christ or not? Are we gonna live for Christ even if it runs counter to the culture? Are we gonna live for Christ even if it means offering that which is of great value to me? My possessions, my relationships, my very own life. Am I gonna live for Christ even if it means giving that up freely? But for us to know how we're gonna live for Christ, we need to dive down just a little deeper and know why. Because what we do matters, but why we do it is essential. Michael Jr., the great, he's a great Christian inspirational speaker, and he has said this, when you know your why, your what has more meaning because you're walking in and towards your purpose. 
So it's important for us to know what we're doing, but it's so much more important for us to know why we're doing it. And that's what we see with Mary. Why did she chose to do this? Why did she choose to to come in and and do that which was completely counter to the culture? Why did she choose to come and, and offer this expression of love that was of such great value? Why would she do that? I think we go back up into John chapter 11 just to see the, the, the account just prior to this that helps us to know why. In John chapter 11, what we find is that Lazarus, their brother, had died. And they'd called for Jesus to come, but it took him days to get there. And Lazarus had been buried for several days. And when he finally arrives, Mary and Martha are, are just, they're, they're just in this time of great grief. Their brother has died. And, and they looked at Jesus and they said, if you'd only been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says such powerful words to them. In John chapter 11, Martha said to him, I, I, if, if you'd just been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says these words. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. We, we go on down into that account just a little bit more. And we see that beginning in verse 38 and taking it all the way through the end of, the cha- of that particular section, That Jesus then speaks forth to Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus came out of that grave. And Jesus raised his dear friend, the brother of Mary Martha, raised him back to life again. And it's on the heels of that that Mary then burst into this room and goes through this incredible display of her love for Jesus. And it wasn't so much what she did, but it was the why behind it. And the why behind it was she had come to this place in her life to where she had fully embraced the very worth of Christ himself. She knew the power of his word. The power of his word when he said, I'm the the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. And he raised her brother to life. She knew the power of his word, the worth of of the very word of God. She knew the the worth of the power that came in his word. And she knew the worth that he was the true hope for life. And all of a sudden, what she knew about Jesus came, came to full embracement with now what she knew of him. That Christ and Christ alone is not just our hope for life, but is our power for life. And when we know that why, that then gives us the power that we need to live in a way that is counter to this culture so that the world will notice. To live in a way that offers the most, the highest thing that we value and offer that to Christ over and above everything else and the world will notice. To live in a way where our love for Christ and the worth of Christ come face to face. John Piper says, when the worth of Christ and the love of his followers come face to face, it is a beautiful thing. And that's what was taking place.
the love Mary had for Christ and the worth that she found in him as the, as the very source for life itself. And it came to face to face. and It was a beautiful thing. And you know what it resulted in? It resulted in her saying, I'm going to live for Christ, even if it runs counter to the culture of this world. I'm going to live for Christ, even if it means offering the highest thing that I, that I own. And when she did, the people in the room noticed. In church, when we choose to live that way, the world will listen. Maybe Gandhi had some insight. When we live for Christ, the world will listen. I want to ask you this moment, if you would just take a few moments to consider what we've studied today. And as we think through what we've studied, I think there's a couple of questions that we come face to face with in our own life, and it's this. Am I living my life as a follower of Christ in a way that anybody notices? Am I living my life for Christ in a way that, that anybody listens? Am I willing to let my life be lived for him even if it runs counter to this world? And even if it means offering freely my highest possessions, the things I value the most. Church, here's what I believe. I believe that we live in a culture today that is shifting around us rapidly. It's unlike what most of us have experienced in our lifetime and it's probably gonna change more rapidly and quickly than we've ever imagined. But here's what I believe, that even if our culture is shifting in a way that the world barely even notices the church and Christians in our world today, I'm convinced that if we live like Jesus, if we live for Jesus, the world will notice. And it starts with us. It starts with me. What I'd like for us to do now is somehow respond to the Word of God that we study today. And we'll do that in one, several ways. We're going to sing a hymn here in just a moment. And as we sing this hymn together, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. We, we call this a time of invitation or a time of, of commitment. And that's really what it is. It's an invitation for us to commit our lives to Christ. An invitation for us to commit in some way in response to the Word of God. I'm going to pray for us, and after I, after I pray for us, for God's Spirit to work deep within us, I'm going to invite you, if you're able to stand, we're going to sing together, and then I'm going to give you a chance to respond in any way that God's Spirit leads you. There'll be staff members here ready to pray with you. If you want to come and, and just let someone pray with you as you make the decision this morning to, to really live for Christ in a way that the world will notice. 
Or maybe you've been looking for a church, a community of faith to become a part of. And I want to invite you on behalf of the staff here at Beaver Dam to come and let one of the staff walk you through that process of what it would mean to unite with this church, to be a part of this community of faith where collectively you can live for Christ in a way that this community notices. There may be a lot of other things that God's Spirit's speaking to you about today, and I want to give you a chance to respond to that. So after I pray, if you're able, we'll stand, we'll sing together. You respond, there'll be those here to to receive you and to pray with you. Heavenly Father, my prayer this morning is that you would take the word that we've studied together and that you would sink it deeply into our hearts. And Lord, that we would come to the place in our own lives to where we would decide, Lord, am I going to live for you? Even if it runs counter to this culture, even if it means requiring the things which I value the highest in my life, I'm going to live for you. And I want to do it in a way that the world will notice. Not that they'll notice me, but that they will see you and the glory of who you are. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name, amen.